Well, good morning, brothers and sisters at Summit Church and anyone else who's tuning in. We will indeed, those who belong to Christ, sing his praise forever. And some of us would even say here on earth, we're literally just practicing and getting ready for what it's going to be like in heaven when we get to forever enjoy God, glorify God, and praise him. So with the strength we have here in this weak body, our spirits will well up in song for the one who's worth everything. This morning, we are starting a new series that we are extremely excited about, and we're calling it this. We're calling it Real Church, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 12, just that chapter. And I want to talk a little bit about introducing the series, why we've picked it. One, because our, our focus through all of this, the quarantine, is it, constantly bringing us back to this what really matters. What is the church? If we can't get together in a building, does that fracture the church? And the, the answer is no. It leaves us wanting the presence of one another, the proximity of one another, because we love each other. But we find out very quickly that the church will never be confined again to walls because, because there is a time that has come that Jesus told the woman at the well that neither on this mountain or this mountain, location-wise, will people worship the Father. But he is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And so Romans 12 gives this beautiful picture of the characteristics of God's people, what they look like, what's welling up in their heart, how they interact with one another. And I think, we think as the leadership that this would be a wonderful, wonderful chapter of a book for us to go to and look through and, and see what the real church looks like. And how appropriate that our first part in this series is titled Authentic Worship, which is our first pillar. You know, one of our pillars that, that emanates from the Word. Jesus Christ, the Word of God, is the foundation. And from that foundation, there are some highlights that come out of it. And highlights we've been led to, to, to bring out and emphasize at our church. And so our first pillar is authentic worship. Worship being that which we give to God because He's worthy. So worth-ship. But there's a word that goes along with it, and it's the word authentic because there's a fake type of worship. There's a worship that can deceive us. We want to make sure that we as the people of God are giving him the worship that he desires, that truly shows his worth in our life. So here's what I want to show you. Here's, here's a picture. Now, what I have here is, is, is two um, containers of one of the most beautiful substances on the planet, coffee. Can we take a moment of silence, please? Okay. Coffee. Now, some of you is like, oh, coffee. And to you, you see very similar things. You see coffee on the left. You see coffee on the right. But for those of you who, who imbibe of this beautiful gift from God and understand coffee, you already know that these are not the same. You see, they both might say coffee, but there is there's something here that is an indicator. Let me, let me circle it. What the, the telltale sign for anyone who truly knows real, good, authentic coffee. They're going to clue into these little labels here. There's one here, and there's one here. This one on the left says 100% pure coffee. Listen, if you're getting into the coffee game, you're trying to partake of a good gift that God has not withheld from his people. Let me warn you, 100% pure 
pure coffee is a statement that's basically saying it's not plastic. Now on the right, though, oh, on the right, this is what you want to look for. 100%. And it says this, Arabica coffee. Now this, this is the telltale sign of that authenticity that you're looking for. And all of my coffee goes out there saying, amen, because there is the quality and the quality and the type of coffee that matters. Because at the end of the day, yes, coffee's better than no coffee. But if you're looking for authentic, true, quality coffee, you're not going to be deceived by this. You're going to look for this, right? So let me bring this back to our worship when it comes to our worship and we want it to be authentic, then, then we want to ask ourselves or we want to at least do the, the, the proper question and say, okay, if my worship is authentic, what will it look like? Or my worship is authentic when? And that's what we're going to look at in verse 1 of chapter 12. I'm excited. I get to do one verse of scripture. I can't remember the last time I get to just do one verse it is a joy to dive in and just to unpack it in the greatest way possible. So let's look at it. When is our worship authentic? And the real church, church being the people of God, the real people of God will individually and collectively exude authentic worship. First and foremost, this. Let me read the verse. Verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, this is Paul talking, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Okay, now look at the end. You see how it ends? He ends by saying, this is your spiritual worship. So he's made this statement to say, hey, you want to you know if what your worship as a person of God, as the church, you want to know what your worship is and what it should look like? Well, then we got to read the, 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 the verse in its entirety to find out because it ends by saying this is your spiritual worship. So first, our worship is authentic when this happens or when this is present in our life. Our worship is authentic when our obligation turns to willingness. When our obligation, I have to do this, I must do it, it's a mandate. When that turns to, I get to do this, I want to do this, right? There's a switch that has to happen in our heart when it comes to our spiritual worship. And, and how am I, you're probably like, how are you pulling this from this portion of scripture? Well, let me explain this. This word right here where Paul says, I, I appeal to you, brothers. He's not saying, I command you. He's using this word appeal. Another word you could say, maybe certain script Bible verses you have or translations you have, say it use the word beseech or urge. This word has the idea of invoking or inviting, right? It's, it's this, Paul knows that he cannot command people into this. It has to be something that happens and wells up from their heart willingly. Authentic worship Authentic worship involves a willingness of the spirit and the heart of the person. And if it is moved and consumed by obligation, well, I got to do this, this is just what I got to do, it ceases to be authentic. Now, what is it that is to be willing here? 
We're going to move into it. The willingness is the willingness to present your body in a way to God, your physical body, to present it to God as it's His. But we're going to get to that here in a second. Think about the things in your life and how you serve God or how you give God worth. Is that coming from a heart that is willing and ready and wanting to and dying to and yearning and wanting to give God everything? Or is it this constant battle of this burden on your shoulders where you're telling yourself and you're feeling this external pressure, well, I have and I've got to do this. I'm telling you, Jesus tells us that his commandments are not burdensome. So naturally, maybe here's this question then that might come to our hearts when I, we look at authentic worship. So what's the issue then when I'm not willing? It's a good question, right? If, if, if we're going to say, okay, our worship authentically needs to be a willingness, not an obligation, what's the issue then when I'm not willing? One, you don't care. We don't care. So we don't even feel a sense of obligation let alone is there going to be a willingness there. But that's, that's, maybe that's you as you're listening, as you're analyzing yourself and you're saying, you know, I'm not willing to worship God in this way because I don't even care about it. Okay, well, that's one issue or one, one reason why you might not be willing. The other one is this. You're still under compulsion. You're under compulsion because your motivation to worship is the law. Well, Jasper, I, I don't follow the law. Moses, what do, you, what do you mean the law? Well, the law was heavy burdens that were demanded that must be followed and lived up to. And the experience of the person when you try to live up to a certain standard because you have to is a very, very overwhelming sense of dread and misery, right? So if we're putting our worship under this category of a law, of a command, of a demand, of a standard that is impossible that we must live up to, you're never going to worship God with authenticity. It's never going to be authentic. It's always going to be under compulsion. God is looking, as he tells the woman at the well, for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. So maybe the next natural question you're asking is, how then, how then does my, how does then my motivation change? Which that's the very next point. Look what he says here. He says, one, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, and he says this, by the mercies of God. This is why Paul says this. This is, this is a summit statement in the book of Romans. It is climactic. It, it harkens back to the f- first 11 chapters before it. Paul has done this wonderful, beautiful job of exalting the, the truth of, of God's uh, plan in Christ and our salvation and the things that he's done for us on behalf of Jesus. And he comes to chapter 12 and he says, now I, I'm now, therefore, I'm, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God, by the motivation, the right motivation. Authentic worship or worship is authentic when our motivation is God's mercies. Let me talk a little bit about God's mercies. Just through the book of Romans. Chapter one, you have Paul introducing himself and he's talking about an apostle being set apart for the gospel and he's just elevating the work of God in his life. And then in chapter one, he introduces the power of the gospel that he's not ashamed of. You get to chapter two and you see the righteousness of God elevated. You see God's law elevated. You see the judgment of God being elevated, God's perfection. And you see him breaking down though, then slowly and quickly and very well through into chapter 3 about how every single one of us is lost. 
We cannot live up to this elevated, perfect standard of God. We're all under it. But then he, he, he recognizes in verse 3 the wickedness of all man. We've all gone astray. No one does good. But he very quickly then, he, he balances that though with the good news that, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And we've been justified by faith. And he goes into this, this awesome, beautiful picture of receiving the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus alone, apart from works, apart from the law. God has given us this mercy through the gospel where he has deemed man righteous simply through faith, and he justifies that by Abraham believing. And then he talks about the promises, the promises that we now have through faith in Jesus alone, the mercies of God found in his promises that are extended to every single person that would believe in Jesus. Promises of God, promises of eternal life, promises of the forgiveness of sin, promises of an abundant life, promises of being taken care of and being brought into the family of God. And then he, he shows how peace, the peace, the mercy of peace coming through Jesus, who is the next Adam. And just as Adam, things came through, Jesus brings peace and he brings life in Jesus and that God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then guess what? Chapter six, you see this wonderful gift and this mercy of God being bestowed upon us that, that through the power of God and through us presenting ourselves to him, sin can finally be killed once and for all in our life. Not through the law, but as a result of believing and giving your life to God. Now, now you have power over the sin that has so easily beset you. And then Chapter 7, recognizing, yeah, we're still weak in the flesh, but quickly going into chapter 8 to show that we've been given the Spirit, and through the Spirit, we've been given this inheritance, and we've been given this promise, and we figure out the, the purpose of the predestination of God in our life and how He's called us from the beginning, and He is working in us to bring us to a place where He's going to one day glorify us, and He's promised us all of these things. He's made us heirs with Christ, and He talks about the future glory that we have and what's waiting those who love him. And then he, he ends chapter 8 with this, tight, this, this wonderful picture of God's everlasting love over all of those who believe in Jesus, all the mercies of God being poured out through the book of Romans. Then in verse 9, we see God's sovereign choice. You find out that not only has he saved you, but he's loved you intimately before the foundations of the world, and he's chosen you just like he chose Israel. And then he talks about how much he loves Israel and how Everyone through Israel in chapters 10 and 11, everyone, because of salvation coming through the Jews, now gets to benefit and be blessed and be brought in. Even we Gentiles as a wild olive shoot get to be brought in. And I would encourage you to read chapter 11 of Romans because that really works up to, to this mercy of God as he gives this beautiful picture to, to Gentiles, to us, about what we've been given and how we've been brought into this family of God, and it is absolutely beautiful. There's, there's warnings there, but he says all of these things, and he's building it up to this. So I appeal to you, brothers. Look, it's not an obligation. I know I can't command you into this, because this has to well up in your heart willingly. I, and I'm, I'm appealing to you by the mercies of God. Your motivation to worship him has to be rooted in the mercies of God. And you must know those mercies and think and dwell on them and realize them and believe them and eat, sleep and breathe them and be motivated by God's goodness and his love over you. That's going to well up authentic worship. So, natural question then. So what's the issue then 
when I'm not motivated by God's mercies. A few things here that I want to point out. This may be you. So what do you think? Is this me? What fits you? I'm, Jasper, I'm not motivated by God's mercies. What's wrong here? Well, one could be ignorance. It could simply just be ignorance. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I mean, in the true sense of ignorance, you just lack the knowledge of God's mercies. You don't know what God's mercies actually are. You know what your solution is? You just need to spend time studying. You need to get into this treasure trove of, of information and knowledge that will truly show you and give you the knowledge that you need of God's mercies and yet it'll well up in you. I promise you, you'll begin to be motivated by finding out and ridding yourself of the ignorance and coming to the knowledge of Jesus that you desperately need. So maybe it's ignorance. Maybe it's this. Maybe you're not motivated by the mercies of God because of forgetfulness. You keep forgetting who God is and what he's done for you. What's the solution then? You're like, you know, I just keep forgetting these things. Well, let's go back to the book of Philippians. What are the things you should be thinking on? You're going to find out in verse 2 next week that change comes through the renewal of your mind. So if you know God's mercies, but you keep forgetting them, and they, they're, they're no longer affecting and motivating your life, it's because you're not thinking on these things. You need to bring yourself constantly back to these things. What do we do in communion? God set up communion because he wants us to remember constantly what he did for us in his body. Forgetfulness may be the issue. You keep forgetting who he is and what he's done for you. You need to spend some time thinking on these things. What things? The mercies of God that you're not being motivated by. Or maybe the issue is faithlessness. I'm not motivated by the mercies of God because I'm faithless. You don't actually believe these mercies are true. You need to pray for help. And that's okay because... You see examples of many people who came to Jesus faithless and they prayed for help. And Jesus in his power even supplied the faith that they needed. Remember the Father, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I realize there's, there's doubt there all around. And in humility, you need to spend some time just ask, like, I just know that I'm faithless in this area. And God, faith is the only thing that pleases you. So God, would you help me? That's a humble disposition. God hears that, and he loves that type of prayer, and he loves that type of person. He is with you in that. The power's not in you. It is in God. So don't be surprised if you're experiencing doubt. But that may be why you're not motivated by the mercies of God is because of faithlessness. Spend time praying. But what about this last one? Maybe it's apathy. You just don't care. The only thing that I have for you are the warnings of Scripture and to tell you to wake up. Wake up. You are a real person who lives on a real planet in a real universe, and there is a real purpose to why you have been made, and you are on the road as the clock is counting down to one day die, if not by coronavirus, then by something, whether it's old age at the end of your life, it may be some type of accident or something in between that is going to cause you to leave the physical realm and stand before the very God who made you. That day is coming. That's why John came and said, repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. The only thing I can say to you, if you know, like, I just don't care, wake up. Life is real. Stop being distracted. Stop letting the lies of yourself and the world distract you from what really matters. Stop falling asleep to the truth. Wake up. And I say that with the greatest sense of love because when we're apathetic, the only thing that can wake us up sometimes is an alarm. Our worship is authentic when our obligation turns to willingness, when our motivation is the mercies of God. Look at this next one. Our worship is authentic when our bodies, our physical bodies, 
are offered or presented to God. Our worship is authentic when our bodies are presented to God. This word presented, I want you to, to get this picture. Like you, you have something and you're, you're giving it and you want it to be accepted. And I thought about the word offering. This is, sim- this is very similar to the word offering. But I also looked in our English language, the way we use the word offer could actually be different than what this word presented means. We can use the word offer, offer in this way. is I'm offering someone a cup of coffee. And it's up to them whether they want to accept it or not. That's, I'm offering that to you. That's not what this means. This means I am presenting or offering something and I am, I am with the greatest expectation that it will be accepted. Right? I'm offering this and I want it to be accepted. And so what is it that we are offering when it comes to our authentic worship? Look at this. It's our bodies. Our physical bodies. This is a very interesting verse. Because in this time, and especially the people who would have been listening, especially in a Roman or a Greek way of thinking, the body was bad, physical's bad, flesh bad. The only thing that mattered was the spiritual. But then Paul comes along, he's like, no, 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 your body is very important. Your bodies must be offered or presented to God in a way where you want it to be accepted. You are giving it over to him. You are surrendering your body to him. Now, that sounds like a popular thing to do, doesn't it? So what's the issue then when I'm not presenting my body to God? Now, let's talk about this for a little bit. There's a few, few reasons as I thought through this, a few reasons or issues that would keep someone to actually giving and presenting their body physical body to God for his service. First, rebellion. How about this? You can't tell me what to do with my body. I mean, think about that. that, Does that make you think about people in the world? We say this all the time, whether we're actually saying it or not, we're implying it all the time. We don't want people telling us what to do. This is my body. It's my party. I'll do it. I'll cry if I want to. I'll do what I want to. And you better believe it is unpopular today to even suggest that I would offer my body up to God. I mean, what, has, what are the things we're experiencing now on planet Earth with this type of rebellion and thinking? Millions of babies are being killed because women are told they need to be able to do what they want to with their body. And so people are being killed constantly because of this rebellion. There's great deception in it. People may not see that they're doing this, but the God who made you, the God who made you, is showing, I want your body. I made it. You need to present it to me. I have a plan for it. That body belongs to me. Rebellion may be a reason we're not offering or presenting our body to God. Or how about this one? Maybe deception. Here's here's one that might hit more close home to the church. Deception could be a reason we're not presenting our body in the way that God wants us to. The person who's deceived may say something like this in the church. The spiritual matters, not the physical. Inward counts, not outward. I mean, why would someone say this? I think we would say something like this because we are so conditioned to not be pharisaical when we don't want to be legalistic. And so we swing to this other end we're like, you know what? I don't want to just be whitewashed tombed. The, the inside is what matters, not the lips, 
not the outside, and so I'm going to put all of my focus on the inside. That is good, but when you neglect the outside as well, you've just gone to another issue on the other end. Same problem, different ends of the spectrum. In the middle, both the physical realm and the spiritual realm are married together because that is what God has created and made. This, the physical matters. And the person who may not be presenting their body to God, maybe, maybe you're like, man, I, I just I can't do this. It could be one because of rebellion or it could be deception. You've forgotten how important the body actually is. So what's the issue here? Which is going to lead us to the final point. The issue is you don't see your body for what it really is. So our worship is authentic finally when our bodies are seen and understood as sacred, our physical bodies. We talked about presenting your body, but there's a way in which it must be presented. And the only way you can present your body in the right way is you see is if you see your body the right way. Look what he says here. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see that word acceptable, just like we talked about that word present. You're hoping it will be accepted. You, you want God to take it. You want him to be pleased with this body. But the only way we'll present it rightly is if we see our bodies in the right way. And I would venture to say we do not see our bodies the right way today. He says here, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What should that make you think of? One, you should think about the dead sacrifices throughout all of the Old Testament. The, the sacrifice of the animal that was brought, that represented the person, and then was killed, and its blood was spilt, and it was burnt up, and the smoke went up to the nostrils of God as a pleasing aroma to help cover that person on behalf of that person. That dead sacrifice should then make you think about Jesus who became the final, who became the ultimate Lamb of God. The fulfillment of the shadows of all these other animal sacrifices. Jesus comes, and what does he do with his body? How important was the body of Jesus? The body of Jesus was able to fulfill the wrath of God. And so his body was slain and crushed on our behalf. Slain, crushed, and destroyed for us. That body was, which was perfect, became the final lamb of God. Would we say that the body of Jesus is sacred? Absolutely. People are fighting all through history thinking they have the body of Jesus or they have a, a piece of the cloth that touched the body of Jesus and, and people worship and come under great great reverence to the body of Christ. There's great, great importance and value in Jesus' body. But remember, Jesus was made like us. Second, uh, Philippians 2 reminds us that he entered the world like us in human form. He came to be like us, to have a body like us, to experience what we experience and Hebrews tells us he did experience everything we experience, yet without sin. And so that body was able to be offered and presented to God as the right sacrifice, one that died so that those who were dead could become alive. And now that we are alive, guess what we are? The new sacrifices that God wants, which is the living and alive sacrifices. Our life, our conduct, these bodies it matters what we do. Are you using your body to please God or to please self? Your body needs to be seen as something that is sacred, that has been made by the creative universe in his image. And the enemy hates the image of God. 
That's why it's filled with violence. That's why it's filled with filth all over the intimate. That's why all of our entertainment is somehow designed around distorting and destroying the image of God. All of our wars of gender, all of that is designed around the enemy just trying to destroy the very image he hates. And we can get sucked in to forgetting the importance of the body. I think we as believers struggle seeing it as sacred because we focus on just its weakness and how it makes us feel and its discomfort. And rightfully so, we groan in the flesh. And so we're just ready to be done with it. Okay, that's only half of the pie though. The other half is that God is wanting your body to be conformed to the image of Christ and he's left you here on earth with the spirit so your body could be transformed. But it's motivated by the mercies of God. That's real worship. Now, what about this? So what's the issue? What's the issue then when I'm not seeing my body as sacred? What's the issue? A few issues here. Could be this, self-deprecation. Maybe this is you. I hate my body. Why did God make me this way? I hate it. Self-deprecation. What does that really do? It insults the body of Jesus. Maybe you're the one that self-deprecates. You, you can't see your body as sacred because you're too busy being discontent about the body that God has given you. What about this? The other side of the spectrum is self-infatuation. Instagram and Facebook and social media, TikTok should show you how, how utterly infatuated with our bodies we are. But it's not... It's not viewing it as sacred then if we're infatuated with it. I want everyone to notice and worship my body. You may not say that, but you know in your heart you feel that and you want that. What are we really doing? We're stealing glory from Christ. That's his. What about this one? Self-indulgence. The person who's self-indulgence, I must protect my body from discomfort. Now, that's a weird way to describe self-indulgence. Yeah, because really what we're doing when we indulge as we start to experience discomfort that we're like, no, I don't want to do that. I want to feel good. And so we do whatever we need to do to experience pleasure in the body, a whole gambit of things. And what are we doing when we do that? We dismiss the sufferings of Jesus in his body. Guys, our body is sacred and is very important. What we do with it matters. Let me remind you this. The temple dwelling of God is our body. We're told in 1 Corinthians that our body is the temple. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sit here and give you a list of all the things that you can do to make sure you're doing things right in the body. Again, that's going back to compulsion. That's leaving the heart of worship. The heart of worship recognizes the importance of the body and says, God, I want to give it to you. I want to present it to you. I'm motivated by your mercies, and I just want to please you in my body. If that's your heart, then I would love to see what then your life looks like as a result of that. I don't need to sit here and give you a list of things you should do and not do. That's what we want to avoid. No, I want your heart to be overwhelmed by the mercies of God, and I want you to willingly present that body to God, seeing it as sacred and saying it's yours. I want you to be pleased in everything, and guess what? I guarantee you the rest will follow. But we self-indulge constantly. Because we don't think about our bodies that way. So we don't think about how we eat and our lack of self-control. We don't think about what we do to our bodies and the situations we put it in. We don't think about what we do with it sexually and how we defame it and we defile it. And we forget that God chose to live inside of us. We're the temple. Our bodies are the temple. And it could be because we're viewing our body the wrong way and we've forgotten how sacred it actually is. Where are you at? Where are you at? 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And being found in human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Church, our worship is authentic when our hearts sing If I'm worth dying for, he is worth living for. If I'm worth dying for, he is worth living for. Do you know what God has done for you in Christ? Is your heart welling up with thanksgiving and gratitude? Are you thinking on the mercies of God? And are you presenting your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? Remember, this is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. God, you are good to give us your word. You are good to help us to see your heart and to see what it is that you desire from us. And and God, I will be the first to admit my worship is not authentic because I can't make it authentic in and of myself by my own motivations. God, we gotta, we got to grow in our, our knowledge of, of the grace that is in Jesus and in him himself and sit with him and pray and rely on you for strength and you will well up within us streams of living water that burst from us that cannot be contained because we are overwhelmed by your goodness. We are overwhelmed by who you are and we can't help but want to use our bodies for you and for your service, no longer for ourselves but for you. God, that is authentic worship. We want some at church to have authentic worship. And God, we repent when we don't. And we're asking for you to help us to be the people that you desire. We pray it all in Jesus' name. my head in every valley let your joy be greater than my grief I have set my heart set my set my heart on you you have every part of me set my heart I believe you're moving even 
nothing will ever shake me, overtake me, all my hope in you. Nothing will ever break me, ever slay me, all my hope in you. Nothing will ever shake me, overtake me, all my hope in you. sacrifice that's where it's at laying our lives down for Jesus we just sang it I've set my heart and I realize even as we sing it that the reality is that we we know that we don't fully do it but it's good to sing that it's good to desire it it's good to pray for it that God would help us lay our lives down as living sacrifices this this is where we've been this morning I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God because of God's mercy to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We need the Lord to do that in our hearts. And so we are praying for you today. As you've heard this service, as you've, as you've sang your heart out, we're praying for you today that God would stir your heart, that he would give you the confidence in him and the faith to believe that, that you are in the safest possible place you could ever be in your life when you are laying down your life as a living sacrifice before the Lord. We love you, Summit Church. Let me pray for you as you go into this week, as you go into countless opportunities to die to yourself and to live for Christ. Lord, thank you for the things that you have deposited in our hearts in this time of worship. Thank you for your word, which is incorruptible seed that always goes down into our hearts and bears great fruit when we trust and we believe and we act on the things that you're showing us. Thank you for the opportunity to sing together. Thank you for the opportunity to be connected together. And I'm praying for every single person watching this stream today that you would stir their affections for you and their heart for you and their willingness to lay their lives down as a living sacrifice, knowing that it's because of your tender mercies that we can be confident that when we die to ourselves, we are living for you. Thank you, God, for your goodness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We say it all the time. We mean it so dearly. You are loved. <laughs>